now, a Thanksgiving moment. You know, this is the time of year when we realize what it is we have to be thankful for. Of course, I'm talking about Thanksgiving. I know it. Hang on a second. This is called suede, buddy, so you need to be careful with that lollipop. It's time to be with your kids and your nieces and nephews, and don't touch them. That's just going to egg them on. That's just... It's time when I remember all the warmth and love of conversations and, uh, well, let's just... Guys, hey, guys, seriously. Why don't you come help? Don't even... But I know that I remember growing up... You know what, this is not going to work. Haley, I'm sorry, my back is killing me. This kid's about to break my knee off. This one is as ripe as it gets. We need some, a lot of wipes for that one. Well, that's right, and I remember the turkey and dressing, and uh, you bet there was some cranberry sauce if uh, Uncle Teddy had anything to do with it. And uh, Uncle Floyd, I, 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 I tell you what, Haley, can, you've got to get her out of here because my headache is about to explode here. Um, hey, seriously, Daryl, how about helping out this year? Hey, I'll tell you what, why don't you go outside and wait for me? All right. And uh, I remember uh, sitting around and laughing as a family, and sweetie, I have got to have some room here to do this. I know, I t you know what, this is like a practical joke. This is terrible. Okay, I'm about to freak out here. Daryl, should we put you at the kids' table since you're helping about as much as they are, or...? Hold on, hold on. So my hope is that you have a very blessed time and a relaxing Thanksgiving. So how are you feeling about Thanksgiving? I hope yours goes a little better than that guy's. Well, the truth is many people will say that Thanksgiving is their favorite holiday of the year these days. Not a lot of hype and hoopla, no advertising, shopping, gift-giving, decorating, all that. It's just the people that you love, good food, a little football, nap on the couch, and that's kind of all you really need. Uh, recently, a survey has revealed people's favorite things about Thanksgiving. Uh, number one on the list, favorite thing about Thanksgiving for Americans, the side dishes. <laughs> yep, not the turkey, it's the cranberry chutney or the creamed onions or the cornbread stuffing or whatever your family specialty is, that's what people look forward to. Number two on the list, friends and family. Now think about that. They come in second to side dishes. <laughs> all right, so. <laughs> Number three, you finally get to the turkey. Number four, football, watching or playing or both. Number five, shopping. Seriously. And number six, travel. Those folks are obviously not going to Logan on Wednesday evening this week. So. so for a whole lot of reasons, people will say that Thanksgiving has become their favorite holiday. And one of the reasons that some people give is that it's not a religious holiday. Now, obviously, we know there are religious roots to Thanksgiving, but uh, I think we know what people are getting at. What they're saying is that Thanksgiving doesn't have a lot of the religious baggage that some other holidays do. It's not associated with any one particular religious tradition, not like uh, Christmas or Passover or Ramadan. People of any faith can celebrate Thanksgiving or no faith at all. In fact, that's why it's our busiest travel weekend because everybody is participating. But I would like to suggest that Thanksgiving is in fact the primal religious holiday. That it is the first the foremost, the foundational, formative, holy day 
of the year. In fact, I would suggest that Thanksgiving proves the existence of God. Now, we're familiar with some of the proofs, the philosophical arguments for God's existence. There's the ontological proof for God's existence. Our minds can conceive of a supreme being, therefore such a being must exist. There's the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Everything that exists has a cause. The universe exists. The universe must have a cause and a causer. The design argument looks at the beauty and complexity of the natural world and says there must be an intelligent designer behind it. The moral argument looks at our innate moral sense of right and wrong and says there must be a moral being behind it. You get the idea. We're familiar with these proofs for the existence of God. With all due respect to these lofty proofs and these profound thoughts, I would like to offer yet another proof for the existence of God. And you don't need an advanced degree to understand it. All you need to do is celebrate Thanksgiving. So let's go to Psalm 100, and I'll show you what it is I'm getting at. We're going to be looking at this uh, psalm today. Spend a few minutes here in this psalm and see if we can't find our way to a more meaningful Thanksgiving celebration than the guy in the video a few moments ago. So let me read it again. We looked at it earlier in the service, but Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now if you happen to have a Bible open, you'll notice that the title of this psalm reads, A Psalm for giving thanks. Now, this is the only psalm in the entire collection with that title, for giving thanks. Now, that's surprising. There are 150 songs in this collection. Many of them have elements of thankfulness, some of them even more so than Psalm 100. Psalm 100 only mentions thanks twice in the psalm, and all of that in just the one verse, verse 4. But of all the songs in the collection, this one was considered the Thanksgiving psalm. It was the ancient equivalent of we gather together or great is thy faithfulness. Uh, those ancient people merely had to hear the first words of this psalm and they immediately began to smell the turkey or the lamb or whatever it is they served on their particular Thanksgiving celebrations. So there must be something about this psalm that gets to the very heart of what Thanksgiving is all about. And then notice something else. The psalm begins, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Thanksgiving was something the psalm writer believed every human being could participate in. It wasn't just for the people of Israel. And that's interesting, because giving thanks does seem to be a universal human instinct. I mean, think about it for a minute. Every language has a word or words for giving thanks. Most every religious system has some discipline or practice of giving thanks. Many, many nations observe an annual day of thanksgiving. Saying thank you is one of the very first things we teach to our children. One toddler shares a toy with another toddler, and we say, say thank you. 
The birthday rolls around. They get gifts from their friends and grandma. And before the kids can even play with their gifts, we've got them writing thank you notes to their friends and to their grandma. And when you think about it, thank you may be the very first human verbal interaction many people have. It's one of the earliest things we say. And it may be the most common verbal interaction we have with people. Think about how many times a day you say thank you, like that little child who's just been taken out of the service. They're very, very grateful <laughs> to be out of the way. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> so for human beings, giving thanks is this universal, instinctive impulse that we have when we receive any sort of gift or help or assistance. But here's the thing. We only give thanks when there's a person on the other end. When there's someone there who is the source of that gift or that service or that assistance. Long, long ago, there was a time when if you went to the bank, you would talk to a teller. Now, for you younger people, tellers are human beings who work behind counters in banks, and they help you with their transactions. Think about the last time you talked to a teller in a bank. It may have been a while ago, but I guarantee the last time you talked to a teller, at the end of the transaction, what did you say? Thank you. I mean, it's just an instinct. It would be rude not to. But I can pretty much guarantee when you stopped at the ATM yesterday, you did not say thank you to the machine. If you did, you felt very foolish in front of anybody who happened to be around. It just doesn't make any sense. I think about the child again. When, when the barber or the receptionist hands them a lollipop, you say, say thank you. But when you take them to the vending machine and they choose a candy bar, you don't tell them to thank the machine. You don't have to tell them. They get it. There's nobody there. You only say thank you when there's a person on the other end of the transaction, someone whose kindness or thoughtfulness or generosity has prompted them to give you this gift or assistance. You want them, you say thank you because you want them to know you recognize them, you value them, you appreciate them and what they have done for you. But it makes no sense to say thank you to an inanimate object. So with that in mind, let's go back to Psalm 100. And I want you to notice the most outstanding feature of this psalm, and that's how personal it is. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. God is mentioned 13 times in this little psalm. It's only five verses long. Five times he's mentioned by name, God or Lord, and eight times by personal pronoun, he, him, or his. It's not just shout for joy. It's shout for joy to the Lord. It's not just give thanks. It's give thanks to him. There's a person on the other end of all this beauty and wonder and goodness around us, a source, a giver. And so we instinctively want to say thank you. And so you can see my proof beginning to take, take shape. Human beings instinctively say thanks. We only say thanks when there's a person on the other end. Therefore, there must be a person behind all this goodness that we enjoy in life. Now, I realize there are songs and prayers you can pray 
a way of giving thanks that don't acknowledge any particular deity. If you've ever been to an ecumenical community kind of a Thanksgiving service where we're trying to be respectful of other traditions and not impose our faith upon them, we'll use these kinds of Thanksgiving prayers or songs. And they often go something like this. Um, for the beauty of the heavens, for sun, moon, and stars, we give thanks. For family and friends and the joy of human love, we give thanks. This kind of goes like that without acknowledging any particular deity or, or any deity at all. Now, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with expressing thankfulness. The only thing is, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say thank you when there's nobody out there on the other end. It's a little like standing in front of a vending machine and saying, for Snickers bars and potato chips, we give thanks. <laughs> you just don't really need to do that because there's nobody there. Now, you can appreciate the Snickers bar, and you can appreciate the sun, moon, and stars. But this impulse to say thank you, to celebrate, to look, sing, shout, make music, that suggests to us someone is out there. So that's my thanksgiving proof for the existence of God. Someone must be out there. But if he is, if there is a being out there, what is he like? Why do we want to thank him? Well, two reasons in this psalm. First, he made us. Verse 3, know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us. We give thanks to God because he made us. He's the creator of heaven and earth. The Bible tells us that everything that exists, God created out of nothing. He brought into being light and darkness, sea and sky, flora and fauna, men and women. Now, what the Bible doesn't tell us, what Genesis doesn't tell us, is how or when he did it. Did, did God create in a burst of creative activity, creating the mountains with one pinch of his fingers? Or did he do it gradually, bit by bit, one paint stroke at a time as he colored the fish and the flowers until they were just exactly right? Did he do it 10,000 years ago? Or did he do it 100 billion years ago? We really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. These questions are ours to ask, to explore, to ponder, even to debate. But the Bible doesn't focus on when or how. It focuses on who and why. And the who is God a powerful and personal creator who made us in his image. And why? That we might be with him. That he might be with us. That he might be known by us and that he might know us. A few weeks ago, as we worked our way through the book of Acts, we came to Paul's famous sermon to the philosophers in Athens, the Mars Hill Sermon out of Acts chapter 17. And at one point in that magnificent sermon, Paul said this. He, God himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. The who and the why. The who, God, who gives life and breath and everything else. And the why, 
in order that we might seek him and reach out for him and perhaps find him. He gave things that in order that when that instinctive thing wells up within us, we would look heavenward and acknowledge that there's someone out there who gave us these good things. That really explains why why these parents have come and brought their children before the congregation and before the Lord. They realize they've been given a gift, the mystery and the miracle of life. And something deep inside of them says, we we have to say something about this to somebody. We need to go to one of those places, one of those sacred places where people talk to God. And in front of everybody, we need to say thank you. And that impulse is as old as humanity itself. When the very first man and woman gave birth to the very first child, the first thing that the mother said was, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And ever since that day, new parents have looked heavenward and said, thank you. One of the most famous atheists in recent history is a man named Antony Flew, a British philosopher. He died in 2010. Flew was the son of a Methodist minister, but at a pretty early age in life, he rejected the faith, felt as though it was intellectually incredible. So he went on to become an esteemed Oxford professor and author and skeptic. Um, he famously dismantled many of the arguments and existence, arguments for God's existence we talked about earlier. But later in life, at the age of 81, he found himself compelled by science, the scientific evidence, DNA in particular. He found himself compelled at the age of 81 to renounce his atheism. I now believe there is a God, he said. That's what happens when we consider the goodness and the beauty around us. Something within wells up and says there must be someone out there. But there's a second reason we give thanks, according to Psalm 100, not only because God made us, but because he cares for us. Verse 3, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We give thanks because we recognize that that someone out there not only gave us life, but cares for us in this life. You see, this world we live in, this wonderful world that God created, it doesn't always work the way it's supposed to, does it? Life doesn't always go the way we expected it to. We don't always do the things we want and wish we would do, and neither do the people around us. And so we find ourselves in tough spots. As, as like sheep, we get, we get hungry and thirsty, we get sick and we get tired. Sometimes we're stubborn and we're ornery with others and with God. We wander off and we get lost. We choose our own path and get stuck in the briars. Bad things happen to us. Storms threaten us. Wolves stalk us. Enemies lurk in the hills. The shadow of death falls across our path. And when that happens, we instinctively look heavenward. From whatever our earthly foxhole looks like, we look heavenward and we cry out for help. We don't like to admit it, but we... In those moments, we turn heavenward and hope and pray that someone is out there who can help, who can come to our rescue. And and when he does, when we come out on the other side and we find that we've weathered the storm, 
We've recovered from the illness. We've made it through the financial hardship. The relationship has been restored. We're forgiven for our mistakes. We're free to start again. We, we, we want to give thanks because we realize it, it wasn't dumb chance. It wasn't blind luck. It wasn't some mysterious force in the universe. Someone has been watching over us. It, it's, it's our shepherd who, who led us to green pastures and quiet waters when we needed them. It's our shepherd. It was his rod that drove the wolves away. It was his staff that rescued us from the briar patch. He was the one walking with us through the valley of the shadow. He sets a table and makes us feel secure even when there's enemies in the hills. And it's his oil and his touch that soothes and comforts us. And so when we come out on the other side, we can't help but want to give thanks. He's our creator and he's our shepherd and it's personal. But how do you do that, really? I mean, how do you thank God? We know how to thank each other. We send each other thank you notes, flowers, a gift certificate, take somebody out to dinner, do a favor for them. But how do you thank the God who cares and watches over us? Well, Psalm 100 tells us in fact, offers us seven different ways to thank him. Shout, serve, come, know, enter, give thanks, and praise. Now, did you notice something about all seven of those things? Let me read them one more time. Shout, serve, come, know, enter, give thanks, and praise. None of them really requires us to do much of anything other than to just to show up, to enter into his presence, to sing or say or shout, thank you. That's what God asks. He doesn't say, you know, if you really want to thank me, then go straighten your life out. He doesn't say, if you're really grateful, then go build the church or spread the gospel or feed the poor. Now, we often do those things out of sheer joy and gratitude and, and wonder, but that's really not the first thing God asks for. The first thing he asks for is that we would simply acknowledge him, that we'd be attentive to him, that we'd come close to him and be with him in worship. Imagine it this way. Imagine yourself a parent, maybe one of these parents bringing their children this morning. You, you devote 20-some years of your life to getting this child launched in life. You care for them as, as an infant. You, you send them off to school. You, you teach them all about life. You, you feed them and clothe them and, and shelter them. You make sure they know how to hit a curveball. All the really important things in life. You make sure they get a good education, that they have some firm foundational values. And then when the time is right, at 21 or 22 or, or 25 or whatever it is, you, you launch them into life and they go off and they do good and wonderful things with their lives they pursue wonderful careers they build good relationships they do good things in the world except for one thing they never talk to you again <laughs> they never they never say thank you they never they never come back to visit they never invite you to come and visit them they don't they don't tell you about their lives about their work about their families they about their joys and sorrows, they, for the most part, just live as if you're not even there. Now, how would you feel as a parent? Lousy. 
And what would that say about the child? Not very much. What is it you want from those parents? Do, do you want them to pay you back for all those years? Do you, do you want some flowery $10 Hallmark thank you card? No, all you want is for them to be with you. You, you want to have a, an ongoing relationship with them. You want to share with them the joys and challenges of their lives. You want to support them and encourage them and celebrate and cry with them. You want to do life with them. And that's what God, our Heavenly Father, our Good Shepherd, wants from us. Sure, we'll get around to doing things that serve His cause and His kingdom because we're part of His family. But the first thing He wants, the most thing He wants, is simply that we would be with Him, that we would enter into His courts with praise and His gates with thanksgiving. Not just once a year and not just when a baby is born, but on a week-by-week basis. As I said, it's not unusual for uh, parents to come and offer their child in dedication on an occasion like this. And I'm thrilled parents are here today. But I sure hope that this is not a one-time occasion. I hope this is the beginning of a lifelong pattern. Parents, one of the best things you can do for your children is to make weekly worship with God's people a part of the fabric of your life. Weave it into the warp and woof of your weekly experiences. It will provide you and them with a grounding, a centering, a foundation that will serve you and them well for many, many years to come. It is more important than getting them into the right preschool. It's more important than music lessons and soccer camp and SAT tutoring. It's more important than all those things. Now, I I know. I've been through this. We've raised four children. And I know how challenging Sunday mornings can be. The the fights getting out of the house, the the sports schedules to compete with, uh, the, the, the sleeping in when they're teenagers, the whole thing. We've been through it all but I also know how important it has been in the lives of our children. I can't imagine raising children without the church and without the rhythm of weekly worship and gathering to remind ourselves that he made us and that he cares for us. And when you and your kids have that foundation, it's powerful in living. I was talking with a young woman recently. She grew up in a strong Christian home They were active in the church from the time she was a little girl. Every Sunday, they were there. Worshipped as a family, Sunday school, youth group, vacation Bible school, the whole deal, all the way through high school. She went off to college. And she found when she got to college, she began to question and doubt her faith. Things she was learning, things she were hearing, just sort of undermined the things she had always believed. And then she found herself getting disillusioned with the church just frustrated, disappointed, and, and for the most part, just drifted away from the whole thing. Lived as if none of it was there. Well, after graduation from college, she came back and, and, and moved back home again. She needed to do that. Parents welcomed her with open arms and reminded her, we're glad you're home, honey. Remember, in this house, every Sunday we worship together. So off she went to church, sat in the back row, arms crossed, just putting up with it. But something happened week by week by week. The singing, the praying, the teaching, the company, 
something began to stir within her again, that deep-down impulse to look heavenward in all the good and hard times of life. To make a long story short, the good shepherd found her in the back row of the sanctuary, warmed her heart, brought her back into the fold again, and in fact, she's now on our ministry staff here at Grace Chapel. That's the way, that's what happens when we slow down long enough to enter into God's presence and turn our hearts heavenward and remind ourselves that behind all the goodness of our lives, there is a giver. And behind all the hardship of our lives, there is a shepherd. Thanksgiving reminds us that there is a God who made us, who cares for us, and more than anything else, wants to be with us. It may not prove that God exists, but it sure points us in his direction. In fact, he wants us so badly that when we wandered from the fold, when we stubbornly refused to go his way, when we were unable and unwilling to reach out for him and seek him and perhaps find him, when we wanted nothing to do with him, he, like a good shepherd, came looking for us. He came here to our wilderness, to our foxholes, and he walked with us in this life for 33 years just to remind us there's a God there who made us, cares for us, and wants to be with us. In fact, that was his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And when we still stubbornly refuse to turn toward him, that good shepherd laid down his life for us. When was the last time from the bottom of your heart you thanked him for that? How consistently are you making worship and thanksgiving a feature of your life? Is it possible you've been living your life like one of those forgotten children who, who forget about their father? Jesus, God, invites you today to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, to know him and be known by him in this life and the life to come. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this Thanksgiving season that reminds us of all the good things we enjoy in this world. We thank you for this psalm, for the reminder that all this goodness comes from somewhere, comes from someone. Thank you for turning our hearts toward you this morning in a personal way. And I pray that we might leave here grateful people with our lives aligned with yours to be your people in this world by our grateful and generous hearts to point others towards you as well this Thanksgiving and in the days to come. We pray it in Jesus' name, the Good Shepherd. Amen.